Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two of the Gals Chat podcast. This is your co-host, Amy. And this is your co-host, Laura. So, Laura, what fun topic do we have today? In today's episode of the podcast, we're interviewing Fernanda Sulantay, who is going to talk to us about her experience immigrating to the U.S. and now getting her Ph.D. Fernanda is a chemical engineer and Ph.D. student at Yale University by day and mommy of one by night. She's originally from El Salvador and is also a content creator and Etsy store owner of Engineering Baddies. So welcome, Fernanda. I'm really glad that you're here on our podcast today. Yay! I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're so happy to talk to you. We're so So excited to get to know you better and for our listeners to get to know you better and learn about all the things that you do because, girl, you do a lot. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so excited too because I love engineering calls and Maritza and Amy and Lara. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> well, we love you too. So yeah. why don't we start by um, you telling us a little bit more about yourself. What has your journey been like as a first generation uh, immigrant here in the U.S. and becoming a chemical engineer? Yes. Okay. So as you guys mentioned, I'm from El Salvador. I was born and raised there and I moved to the U.S. when I was 19 years old. So um, when I moved here, I moved with my older sister and we came to live with our dad here. Um, But it was definitely an experience, a crazy journey because we didn't live with our dad since like he left to the U.S. when I was like five or six years old. So for the whole time, I didn't live with him. So um, then when I came here, um, I thought at the beginning, like, oh, this is so exciting. I'm going to another country. But then when I came here, I realized that it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be because first the language barrier Uh, I thought I could speak English and then I came here and it's like, oh, no, (laughs) I can't. And um, and, you know, it was a lot of getting used to the culture, the people, the weather. Oh, my God, El Salvador, it's so warm and here it's so cold in Connecticut. (laughs) All right. Freezing today. (laughs) I know. Lara lives in Connecticut, too. (laughs) It's so cold. Yeah, so it was a lot of adjusting. And, you know, like I came only with my older sister. So all of our family uh, stayed in El Salvador. And we also like we lived with our dad for like one year or like two years. And then he left and went to Texas. So, you know, it was just my sister and me. And we had to like grow up fast and do you know like get a job pay our bills and um go to school because we really wanted to go to school especially me like I love studying um and yeah so it was a crazy ride but uh, anyway I think that we were optimistic and we like I I already graduated last year (laughs) with my chemical engineering degree and my sister is graduating next year Oh, wow. That's so exciting. Congrats on getting your chemical engineering degree. Thank you. Yes, I was super excited. Like, finally. (laughs) Yeah. So what made you want to get an engineering degree? Like, what? how did that happen once you got here? So I actually was in the university in El Salvador. 
Um, I started university when I was 18 years old and did like one year and a half there. And I was already studying chemical engineering. I, I chose engineering because, you know, in high school, I like science and math. And um, someone told me about engineering. And then I looked looked uh, looked it up and I liked it. So I started studying. So I really liked it. And then when I moved here, I did have to start all over again. But um, I was excited. I really liked the, the career. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, so that's good. You're able to still keep your passion and yes. you know, in chemical engineering. That's nice. Yes. Yeah, like, um, it, you know, like when my mom actually was the one who mentioned to me that I should study engineering and my prof- my math professor also told me and I, the beginning when I started studying, I didn't know too much about what engineering was. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just chose it and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be doing math. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that meme going around? It's like, I still don't know what engineers do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's just one meme going around when there's like, no one knows what engineers do. <laughs> Top secret, like it is funny because at the beginning we take so much like science classes and math classes, but sometimes I mean some people we still don't know like okay, so what are we gonna do in the future? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean even now like sometimes I have a hard trouble like sometimes I have a hard time explaining what I do as an engineer it's like I kind of I work on on this but I kind of do like a little bit of this and that and like yeah you know I feel like every engineer's job is different to be honest no yeah it it is is, yeah and there's like always like some sort of like stereotypical thing like about Mm -hmm. each engineering profession like oh you're in the lab just taking samples all day that that's what you do (laughs) Yeah. you're yeah, not running around everywhere that. i know it's so funny like par- my parents still don't get it like yeah. oh yeah that's a whole no- another story to explain to someone who's not an engineer yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are some challenges and obstacles that you faced when you first arrived to the to the u.s and what helped you get through them yes yeah, so um there were, yeah, there were various challenges that I faced, not only, you know, coming to the U.S. as, as an immigrant, but also, you know, going through engineering school because I was a first generation student. So my my sister and I, we had to figure out college, like how the system worked. And also it's kind of like we were adulting at the same time, you know, like mm-hmm. some people do after they graduate, like starting to pay bills and work you know figuring out the finances and paying bills and stuff like that we had to do it since the beginning and by ourselves and always the language barrier um, was a problem especially for me my for my sister it was it was easier but for some reason I just I could read better but I, I couldn't speak very well and like people talk to me like live in person and I'm like what like cannot can I translate this <laughs> yeah and yeah so yeah that was hard and I remember for example when when I started they uh, I, I started at a community college and when I started there I was like okay I don't know too much English but still I'm gonna you know sign up for classes because most of them they have a lot of math so maybe I don't need English that much 
And um, I remember that I bought the books before the semester and I emailed the professors to get the syllabus so I could study before because I knew that I was going to fall behind during the semester. So I wanted to be ready. And that helped me a lot. I kept doing it uh, every semester and it, it worked out well. Um, so yeah, that was, and, and then I remember that one of my, my first engineering professor at the community college talked about this engineering program funded by the NSF. And I just joined, I was like, yay, I'm so excited. I'm going to do it. But it was more like manufacturing engineering. And I remember the first day Everyone was talking about things that I couldn't understand. I mean, first, because my English wasn't good. And second, because it was, you know, complicated manufacturing terms that I didn't know. And I remember that the first day I went home and I was crying. I'm like, I don't understand anything. Like, what am I going to do? And my friend, I had some friends that I made when I first came here and they were like, oh, whatever, girl, like you're going to do better next day. Like, don't worry, your English is fine. And so then the next day I was like, I forced myself. I'm like, I'm going to go anyway. And then at the end, I learned. <laughs> nice. That's that takes awesome. so much courage. Yeah, to keep on pursuing, knowing that you had so many difficult, like, additional barriers and challenges than everyone else that was there, you know. Mm -hmm. So props to you, you know. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that everyone, all the immigrants that come here, like, Lara, I don't know how it was with you, but, you know, if you come here and you don't know too much English, it is already intimidating to go to engineering school and doing all these things and then on top of that not knowing yeah i mean going in i i honestly didn't even know what engineering was i didn't really know about engineering until i started college so yeah. it was the whole like navigate college process navigation was a blur like it was just like trying to get by i'm like well i don't know what i'm doing but i'm like trying to figure it out um but yeah i mean it worked out <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and another challenge, well, as some of you, I, well, as uh, Amy said at the beginning, I have a son and I had him when I was in my junior year of college. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, he's the most beautiful obstacle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, cute. not an obstacle, but it, it does make things, you know, a little bit harder. Yeah. And, also, like, I, I remember when I found out that I was pregnant, that was at the end of my sophomore year, and like around January. And I was like, this is it, you know, the end of my, my academic career. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, not even close. Yeah, yeah, it just started. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I don't know, how, how, like, what do you guys feel about it? But I did feel that society makes you feel like you cannot be a mom at the same time that you are a successful engineer or, like, successful career woman, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I see that all the time. I agree. I think it's always kind of looked at as, like, a extremely you know challenging and difficult thing but and it is difficult but I don't know I don't think it should be seen as something to like discourage yeah. anyone from doing it you know like yeah. you're doing it now you're studying for your uh you're pursuing your PhD mm -hmm. so yeah it's not but you know like definitely doable it is doable and that's what I want to uh, point that uh, point that out but because 
But at that moment, I didn't know, you know, I just knew what society always made me feel. And um, and even my family, you know, they always told me, like, get your degree, don't get married, don't have kids, <laughs> like, get your degree first. But anyway, after, you know, after a few days, I was like, whatever, I'm going to make it work. I can do this. And I remember that I just got accepted to do the uh, Anari U in the Czech Republic, um, which is a research experience. A summer research program in the Czech Republic and I was like oh let me see if they if I can still go right, right. <laughs> um, yeah but I talked to the the woman who runs the program and she told me yes you you can go and um you're just not gonna work in the lab you can do computational work and I was excited so I went when I was uh six months pregnant and then I stayed there for like 10 weeks so I came back when I was eight months pregnant wow oh wow that was pretty close yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that I look back, I'm like, yeah, I was a little bit reckless. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool that you still got to do that, you know, and yeah. they made it work. And I'm yeah. yeah, it was an amazing experience. I even got to uh, travel to other four countries. We were backpacking and I was pregnant. Oh my god, girl, so cool. what? I know you're <laughs> amazing backpacking with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> This is double backpacking. So cute! I love it. I even went for to a club when I was like around like six months pregnant because like since I'm tall, you couldn't tell that much, you know, that much. So yeah, we went clubbing. Yeah, you should still, you know, obviously live live your life, live it up. So anyway, yeah, I I did that, and then when I came back. Um, I started my junior year of college and I talked to my professors and they were all nice. Um, they told me they we tried to like plan the semester because my due date was in the middle of the semester. And we planned it, planned it out and I was able to do some stuff before my due date then some stuff after. And, you know, here I am. <laughs> it worked out. That's nice that they did that as well. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yes. So why, what made you want to pursue a PhD? So the main goal for me is to be a professor. And uh, when I did, actually, so before doing the RU in the Czech Republic, I did an RU in, at Princeton University. And now that I'm talking about REUs, please, people, if <laughs> write this down. If you want to do research as an undergrad, you can apply to these REUs, which are research experience for undergraduates, and they have it in different universities. So you can apply to more than one in different universities, just in case you don't get one. People usually apply to more than one. And what that means is that over the summer, you're going to go to the university, do research. And most of them, they cover housing, uh, they, they give you a stipend, and they cover travel expenses. So they're amazing opportunities. So um, anyway, yeah, when I did my first REU, it was at Princeton University. And that's where I started uh, getting to know more like-minded people. And I remember I didn't even know what a PhD was. <laughs> I was... Yeah, I knew kind of what a master was, but didn't know what a PhD was. And then I remember 
that um, during that program, I, I found out that you had to do a PhD to become a professor. So I was like, oh, that's fun because anyway, I like research. Oh, nice. Okay. And how long ago was that when you decided to get your PhD? Because you said you recently graduated with your chemical engineering bachelor's, right? Yeah. So this was, um, so see, I said that I started a community college, I did two years. And then when I graduated from the community college, which was my sophomore year, um, that summer, you know, between community college and the, my, the university, um, that's where I did it. Um, so that was 2017. How did you find out that you were interested in, in research? Or I guess, because I feel like doing research is, you really got to enjoy it. Yeah. I feel like uh, it's not like a, I feel like research is more like longer term projects, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you, when did you learn or when did you know that you wanted to get more into research? Yes, I, it happened in my first research experience mm-hmm. um, that I went to Princeton and and I met people that were working in the lab, like graduate students, but also undergrads. And, you know, a lot of people were very excited about research and I could, I, I met other people in other labs, not only chemical engineering. So I got to see, you know, the different things you can do mm-hmm. uh, with research and I just started getting more excited and that that whole experience changed my mind. And I always tell students this, like, if you want to go to graduate school, try to do research in your undergrad to find out if you really like it or not. Because even if you did it and you don't like it, that's still a good outcome because you know that you don't like it and you're not going to commit to five to six years, right, of doing research during your PhD if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes. How was the process of um, applying to get your PhD? Because you're you're at Yale. How many schools did you apply to? Yeah, so uh, the process, it was funny because I knew that I wanted to get my PhD, but um, around, I don't know, like maybe at the end of my junior year, I was like, Mm, let me just take one year gap. I'm going to work and save money and then I'm going to apply for my PhD. And then I remember that uh, my first semester in senior year, I went to this conference and, you know, people were trying, this conference was for underrepresented students and they were trying to get you to apply to graduate school if that's what you wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And I was telling them, yeah, I'm just going to take a year gap. And they were like, no, you should apply. Like now, if you take the year gap, then you're not going to come back. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, getting excited, you know. They, they were like really selling it. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, I got excited and I was like, OK, I'm going to do it. But this was already like too late. Like I went to the conference like at the end of September or at the beginning of October and applications are due in December, you know. Right. So I still had to take the GRE and apply for everything. So that semester was crazy, but I was able to do it. So I will advise people that if you're applying, like try to plan in advance so you can do it and not be so stressed out 
but um the application it's very similar to undergrad um you have to create an essay submit recommendation letters transcripts um stuff like that like very similar and you have to take the gre submit your gre scores i applied to five schools and you know most of them were very similar so you kind of like you can kind of like use the same essay and change it a little bit so that's a tip there you don't have to start all over again for like each university mm-hmm. how did you before applying did you have to know what research subject you wanted to go into or um did you have to know what professor you wanted to work with so no you don't have to and it, this is one thing that a lot of people ask me and they're scared like oh my god like i have no idea about a subject right to study and and it's kind of hard to like know what you want to do right for the next five years but some people do know but uh, you don't have to and I didn't know um so when I apply I looked into the research that was being done in each university and I knew my broad interest And so I looked and I saw that there were some professors doing stuff that I liked. So when you up, when you create your essay, which in this case, it's a statement of purpose, then you add the professors that you're interested in working with. And that's how they choose you, you know. Well, some universities, they choose you as an applicant, but some universities, they choose you because you're the perfect fit to work with a certain professor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I see, I see. And then how does it go for funding? Do you receive funding to do your PhD right now? And how did you get funding for it? Yeah, so um, for funding, it depends. It will depend on your major. It will depend on the university that you're applying and also the lab that you're joining. So most of the people, I want to say all the people that I know that are doing PhDs in STEM majors, I know that they're funded. But I remember I met this girl who studies, or she's doing a PhD in psychology, and she's not funded. So like, it depends, you know, the area where you're going, like the major. But for STEM, I know that most, like all of the people that I know are funded. And then the university, you have to see how how it works for them because for example at Yale the first year you can do rotations meaning you can work with uh, two different professors and the first year you're funded by the university and then after the first year you're either funding by yourself or funded by the lab that you're joining because some labs they have enough funding to pay you Um, some labs they have funding but they don't have enough for you and some labs don't have funding (laughs) so yeah so for the last two you have to apply to your personal fellowships so the two labs that I'm rotating they don't have funding so I had to apply to my own fellowships how did you find those fellowships so uh, I don't remember exactly where I found them. I remember just, you know, by talking to people, I started like learning about some fellowships that I could apply. Um, so I applied to two fellowships and I'm still waiting to hear from them. So wish me luck. Good luck. <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> But one of them, it's like super famous is the NSF one. It's called NSF GRFP. It's, mm-hmm. um, 
everyone can apply. It's very competitive. Um, but yeah, that's the most famous one. Also, I've heard about the Ford Fellowship, but I didn't apply to that one. And if you're an underrepresented student, you can apply to the GEM Fellowship, which I applied as well. And this one, it's nice because you have a lot of control uh, about if you get it or not in the sense of like you don't, you know, the normal process is that you apply and they select you if you're good enough or whatever. But in the GEM Fellowship, you apply and then you have to do an internship with a company. So you have to get a company to um, work with you. Like you have to get an, uh, you know, an internship with them. So you have control in the sense of like you can find a recruiter and have that interview and secure that internship. So I already I'm I I got an internship, but there's still more like steps that I uh, I cannot talk. It's too long. <laughs> but- <laughs> Definitely look it up. <laughs> Definitely look it up because it, it's a good one. And another resources resource that I found uh, recently is the UCLA funding graduate programs. Like put something like that on Google. UCLA graduate programs funding, and it's gonna take you to this website where you can find a lot of fellowships and scholarships. I haven't used it yet, but um, I looked at it and I saw a lot of fellowships that are super helpful. That's very helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you said that you're doing your internship and that would be part-time. Are you doing your PhD full-time? Yes, I'm doing my PhD full-time and I'm going to do this internship over the summer and I don't think I'm going to be working on my PhD during that time. That that's like I'm still working that out with my advisor, but um I think I'm just going to work full-time in this uh company just for those 10 weeks. And yeah, so I as I said I'm doing my my PhD full-time, but you can do your PhD part-time. I know this girl that she decided to do her PhD part-time because she has two kids and she wants to spend time with them and like she's doing fine. So yeah, that's an option. And about like having a job and a PhD at the same time, I think it depends on, you know, the person and how many, how much you can take or how, how much you want to take, right? Yeah, but uh, I, I have a friend at Yale that he... Um, I know he's working part-time in a, in a company. I don't know how many hours, but I'll say that your first year, just try to get the class, you know, try to pass the classes and get them out of the way because you have to take classes the first and the second year. And I feel like that makes it harder because you, you also have to do research. But then later on, maybe I'll see, you know, if it's uh, reasonable or not, but I'm fine right now <laughs> being a full-time PhD student. That's pretty cool. So how do you balance out work and everything that you do, like your PhD, school, being a mom, you have an Etsy store, uh, you do content creation uh, for Instagram and and TikTok. What are your time management skills? How do you do that? (laughs) So they're definitely better now that I have a son. (laughs) They were not that good before that. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, I realized 
after I had my son, like, wow, I have to be with him all the time. So I really need to be effective when I'm working on whatever stuff. Because, you know, like sometimes you study or you work, but in reality, you're looking at your phone, you're talking to people, you're not really being efficient. So yeah. whenever I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I try to be present. Like if I'm working, I'm I'm actually working. If I'm with my son, I'm actually with my son, you know? So that helps me a lot. But the two main things that help me, first one, it's my support system. And, and your support system can be not only your family, it can be whatever. But in my case, it's, it's my family. And they help me a lot. You know, watching Nico, which is Nico's the name of my son, <laughs> and um, yeah, they watching Nico and just in general, you know, like support not only with that, but like sometimes they send me food, and I do the same thing for them. So that really helped me a lot. And then the second thing is being very organized and try to plan things out beforehand. So for example, I use my calendar and my iCalendar and I blocked everything that I have to do. So like, okay, this is how many hours I'm going to study this class and I have this conference or whatever. And even I, I, uh, I even put time aside for self-care. Thank you, Lara, for teaching me that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk more about it. I want to hear what you do to take yeah. care of yourself. Because I feel like I love that you're talking about how your family takes care of one another. I feel like that's a very thing that we see in the Hispanic community. I feel like my family also does the same. I don't think I would really be able to do everything that I do without my family support. So I love mm -hmm. hearing that um, you get the support from your family too, especially with Nico. So that's super sweet. But it's also important for all of you and everyone to take care of themselves. Yes, and it's something that I didn't learn until last year. Can you imagine going through engineering school without taking care of my mental health? <laughs> I think a lot of us did. We were just so focused with school and everything that we were we were kind of just trying to survive and learn as much as we could. And we never really we weren't taught that, hey, taking a break is 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 good for you. Like taking care of yourself is important. Um, no one really emphasized that. Yeah. And for me, like I was just trying to like work hard and, you know, you overwork yourself. And as you were saying, we don't take breaks and we don't realize that we start being not efficient. Right. There's a moment that we think like, oh, if we take a break, then we're losing time. But in reality, you're going to come back with more energy. Mm -hmm. so you yeah, got to recharge. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, now I take it seriously. And I say thank you, Lara, because she was one of the one of the persons that always talks about this on social media. And, and I'm so glad that I found uh, so many girls are also engineers online and that they talk about mental health because that's why I started and it really helps. So yeah, I, I, uh, I also blog my time for that. And, you know, sometimes I don't follow it a hundred percent, but I still, I know what I can do during a day and to help myself accountable you know to remind myself like don't procrastinate Fernanda do it <laughs> you need to finish um yeah but um yeah so that's what I, those are the two things that 
um, help me. But I do want to point point that out that um, it's not 100% perfect and it's not 100% balanced. Um, I know that maybe sometimes, and I try to be super transparent on my social media so people don't think it's perfect because sometimes we see other accounts and they look so perfect and we're like, oh, I wish I was like that. But not even them are like that, you know? Yeah, it's not reality. Yeah. I'm glad that you talk about that on your social media too. And I really want to know now, what do you do to relax and, you know, take care of yourself to recharge and get back into it? So before pre-COVID, <laughs> I used to go out to dance a lot. <laughs> that was like the best way I Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love dancing. I do, yes. It's such a stress relief. You just get there and you just like dance it out. Like it and just... out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a workout. It's so fun. I yes. love it. Me too. And I really miss that. Also, I used to hang out with my friends a lot and, and, you know, I get my energy from people. Like I'm such an extrovert. I love talking. So I really enjoy just having a conversation with someone else. <laughs> yeah. And, but now um, with COVID, I, well, I still dance with my son. He loves dancing. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. That's so cute. Yeah. I have to send you a video guys. Like he knows the choreo- choreographies. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh wow yes and he's only two. Oh my god <laughs> that's so yeah so, i'd love to see that <laughs> yeah so he does that and um and also i hula hoop you have seen some of the videos so cool i'm like i would i would trip and, and fall on my face to be honest if i, I tried doing that <laughs> It looks so cool i actually love hula hooping too so when i saw that i was like wow are you good at it too I, I had this huge obsession with hula hooping in elementary school. Like, that's all I did when we were on recess. <laughs> and even now, we still have one at home because I have younger sisters. So we always have it at home. Oh, <laughs> but I'm not, like, pro, like, Fernanda. Like, I'm just, like, oh, just around my just around my waist. But Fernanda's going, like, she has, like, a whole routine. I know. She just, it's insane. Professional hula hooper. <laughs> No, I'm not. But I remember, yeah, like I saw a video on YouTube uh, and I was already older. Like, I don't think I remember doing it when I was younger, but I was already like 18 or 19. And I saw a YouTube video of this girl doing this crazy stuff. And I just went to Walmart, bought one and practice until I could do it. That's so cool. So, uh, yeah. And besides that, I um, also, I just got roller skates. And oh my God. Yeah. I saw them. The pink ones are so cute. Yes. Yes. I love them. I'm so excited. But it it definitely looks easier (laughs) in the videos than (laughs) actually doing it. (laughs) No, but uh, the rollers, so the roller blades are the ones that are like straight line, I think. And mine are the ones that are like four wheels. Oh, yeah, I'm really okay. bad at those. I like I don't know why they make me more scared than the the regular yeah. I guess roller blades that are one line. Oh, I thought th- I don't know. I thought these look cuter, so that's why I bought this. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're definitely cuter, but I've always been so bad at those. <laughs> well, I'm trying. We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll want to see videos of that too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I will post them. <laughs> so 
what advice would you give someone who is trying to migrate to the U.S. and pursue a PhD? I think from everything that you have experienced and everything that you have lived, what is like one piece of advice that you would want to give someone else trying to pursue something similar? So if people want to migrate to the U.S. to pursue their PhD, I would say that go for it. And a lot of people that I've talked to that they DM me on my social media asking me for help, they think, you know, it's a hard thing to do to apply. And it is, you know, it is kind of complicated because the system in other uh, countries, it's very different than in the U.S., and there's a lot of trouble, like you have to translate everything to English, you have to, like the schools has to send your transcripts directly to the university here, and most other universities don't do it. I think that's only done in the U.S., I don't know. And, um, you know, there's many things that you have to do, but once you get accepted, you know, then you come here and you're treated as everyone else, you know, and... um. I think, I mean, the only difference is that obviously you're here with a visa, but what I want to say, it's like, you're going to have fun. It's going to be a great experience here. So like, don't get intimidated just by the application process if you really want to come here. Because um, at the end of the day, you're going to leave this crazy experience that you're going to love. And then you can come back to your country and, you know, like have better opportunities having a degree from the U.S. I mean, obviously, in the having a degree in another country, I'm not saying those are bad, but like um, sometimes uh, I know that the, the, in the U.S., um, many people from other countries, they recognize that more. So I think it's a great idea if people want to come here to do their Ph.D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. And just like an advice for like people migrating to the U.S. is that maybe you don't see the difficulty when coming here. I mean, just by making the decision. But then when you come here, you do start feeling homesick and and you miss the food, the language. Homesickness is real. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so real. I mean, I've been here for like 10 years already and I still get homesick. And I feel like I've always spent as much time in the U.S. as I did in Spain. And, like, I still get homesick for some reason. So you came here when you were, like, 10 or? or Uh, 13. Yeah, and I'm 23 now. (laughs) Oh, I see. Yes. So, yeah. But what I was going to say is that it's going to get better. (laughs) It's kind of like you're going to create your second home here. But it's kind of weird because... Um, I feel like El Salvador, it's not my, my home home anymore, but also here, it's not like completely my home. So like my yeah. heart, <laughs> I feel the same way. It's kind of like <laughs> home base. You, you come back, but it's like you belong to multiple places. Yeah. And like, I don't I don't know, it's, it's a fun feeling. I think it's fun. I like it. Yes. Yes. And it, yeah, it's kind of like you want to pick things, you know, from each country and it's like, okay, to make the perfect place and everybody come and live in this perfect place. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, like I, I would say that it, it does get better um, and you can find your friend, like even if you don't have your family here, you can find friends that are going to become your family. And that's what happened with me for a lot of time my family wasn't living here my parents just came to the u.s my mom um last year 
So for like seven years, it was just my sisters and me, and we made friends, and and most of them they were immigrants as well, and and it was like we were our family, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you kind of build your own new relationships once you get here over yeah. time, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like we're all like with my friends, we're all immigrants. We're in this together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what does your future hold for you now? Right now you're working on your PhD, but do you have any other goals or things that you have in mind upcoming in the near future? So <laughs> I'm going to be doing my PhD for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, obviously, yeah, for the next five years or six years I'm gonna be doing my PhD and then I'm gonna be a professor so you're gonna find me at a university teaching that is so exciting I will go back to school just just for you or I can have you be my professor because I feel like you're great at, at teaching or you just have so much patience in the way I feel like your personality really aligns with being a professor. So I'm excited to see you be that professor and like lead your class and your research. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, I'm super excited too. It's something that I've always um, wanted to do. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this. I think I didn't. But, you know, when I was in, in high school, I was teaching my my friends. And then in college, I was a math tutor. And all of those experiences, it just like... I was like, okay, yes, this is what I love, you know, so I'm just super excited. That's so exciting. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Fernanda. Uh, Before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can connect with you online, how they can find you, if they have any questions for you? Yes, I would love to say to everyone that if you have any questions or if you can relate to any part of my story, please let me know. Send me a DM. I always, I'm always trying to reply. Sometimes maybe I don't do it like super fast, but I always try to reply and connect with people. And and I know the feeling. So I, if you need help, I'm here to help you. And you can find me um, on my Instagram, which is at Fern Sulantai. Then on my TikTok is at study with Fern. <laughs> and also I have a YouTube channel, which is Fernanda Sulantai. And everything's going to be linked, right? Right in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll link everything. Yeah. 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 Don't hesitate to contact me. I'm happy to help. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so okay. much, Fernanda. You're so much fun. And we're so happy that. Uh, you were able to explain to us everything that you do and everything that you've been through. And we're so excited to see where you head. Thank you. I'm so excited for you guys as well and see what you guys accomplish. Thank you. Yeah, I love talking to you today. And I'm really excited to follow your journey online and stay in touch. Well, listeners, that was today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, please leave us a review if you found this episode helpful. You will be able to find Fernanda's information on the show notes. And don't forget to tune in next Monday. Okay.